Yeah. And ultimately you have to think like an investor because you're, you're going to need them. You're going to need cash in this business because it is a, an expensive business. So if you, you've got to go in thinking about how you're going to pitch to all these different people and does this set itself apart and is this different and interesting enough? And hopefully you find, you know, a unicorn. That's what we're all, we're all yeah. here for. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, a podcast where I talk to founders and investors and retailers about what it takes to launch successful brands, from developing a compelling proposition and brand identity, to raising capital, to getting distribution, and more. My name is Christy Bridges, and I'm a marketing expert with tons of experience and a true love for all things health and wellness. Welcome to today's episode of The Irresistible Factor. Today, I'm really happy to welcome Josh Groff, who is the CEO of More Labs. So welcome to the podcast, Josh. I'm really excited to chat with you. Yeah, thanks, Christy. Excited to be here. So why don't you give the listeners a little background first on on you, and then we'll get into More Labs, and you can talk about what you guys are doing. Sure. I have been in the beverage business for 17 or 18 years now. Coming out of college, I was a finance person, a major in finance. I got my first job randomly with Miller Brewing Company, working in the beer business and finance, and then have been in the beverage business ever since. So I worked for a great little soda company in Seattle called Jones Soda, and then a big coffee company in Seattle called Starbucks. And then I've done everything kind of in between from kombucha to craft coffee to private label bottled water. And then I started here at More Labs about three and a half years ago. But I've worked in kind of everything from finance to marketing to sales, management, kind of come full gamut. Talk a little bit about More Labs. Tell us what the company is because you've obviously made a switch, right, from beverage to supplements. And I'm curious to hear about what led you to that. And then I'd love to hear about how you're going about growing the businesses. I think it's a really interesting proposition. So I'd love for you to just talk about what led you there. Absolutely. So More Labs, we, as you said, we're a dietary supplements company. So we make functional shots. They're 3.4 ounces. And our goal is really to eliminate kind of wasteful parts of your day and really help elevate your daily performance so that you can get whatever done that you need to get done. I was working at another company and I just saw a one of the beverage publications had posted some kind of a story. And I think the, the, the title of the article was talking about how a Tesla engineer solves rough mornings after drinking. And, and I just thought the whole proposition was really interesting because I've seen brands that had kind of tried that space before and had failed. And so I... I wasn't really looking for anything, but just reached out to the the founder who they mentioned and kind of introduced his name, Sun Lee, and found him on LinkedIn and just said, hey, this is a really small industry. And the beverage business is, it tends to be really kind of a, a small club where you keep running into the same people at, at different roles. And, and a couple of years later, you'll see them someplace else. So I just want to introduce myself, say hi. And if you ever need anything, you know, let me know. And he wrote right back and we started having some great conversations just about what he was doing and how he was trying to grow the business. And he had really kind of focused on the direct to consumer side, which was a big piece of the business for More Labs at the beginning. Morning Recovery was their first product. And that's uh, kind of still our hero skew. And it's it's a, a liver detox supplement that really helps you neutralize the toxins from alcohol and, and make sure that you feel fresh the next day after drinking. And that was his first product to market. He was really focused on direct to consumer I thought as I talked to him that with alcohol sales, 99% of alcohol is still purchased 
offline versus online. And I saw this as a great commercial kind of retail play. And that was a, a world that wasn't as familiar to him because he had really kind of focused on the, the engineering side of it and then the, the direct-to-consumer e-com side. So when I came on in 2019, he continued to handle the, the DTC stuff. And then I really, with my finance background and retail background, I took over more on the brick and mortar side and the finance side and really wanted to make a, a big push into that space because morning recovery is a small bottle. It's merchandise in 12 packs. It's a relatively new category, but it's extremely attractive when people kind of know what it is, especially in that moment when you're drinking. So it's highly impulsive and having it live up near the register or near the alcohol just seemed like a, a real natural fit to me. And a lot of my experience up until this point has been working with beverage distributors across the country, whether they're non-alc distributors, beer, wine, and spirits. And so I figured that this is a really interesting space that for them, it's a highly incremental category. It doesn't really compete with anything in their portfolio. And so when you ask them, how many Chardonnays do you have, or how many IPAs or vodkas, you know, their eyes roll a little bit, but this is a, a brand new category that's that's profitable and incremental and seemed like it was kind of a natural fit for them. So in terms of your question around kind of growing the brand and the awareness, I mean, we're really right now all about sips to lips and, and it's trial, 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 because this category has really low household penetration, really low awareness right now, because it's it's not a big category in the U.S. It's a big category over in Asia and parts of Asia. And so, you know, we really see that there's a big opportunity to kind of grow this space within the U.S. And so it's really just getting people to try it, understand what it does, and then realizing that, hey, there's no reason I should feel poorly after drinking if I don't have to. And so we're really trying to kind of find that solve with morning recovery and then using that to kind of lead into some of our other interesting brands that we have within the portfolio. There's a lot of really good stuff that I want to talk about in there. First, I'm, I appreciate how you, you made that connection between, I think this is really interesting because I think a lot of people, when they start working at early to mid-stage brands, they don't have the exact experience, but they've got something that's incredibly relevant. And I think that your beverage experience makes perfect sense when you think about how you are, are applying it to more labs, right? So you really were thinking about the retail opportunities. So that's one thing I want to talk about. I want to know how you feel like the retail side of it is going. And then I want to get to the education part, but let's start with retail. So how is the transition been or the addition of trying to get distribution been for you guys? Thankfully, it's been incredible. You know, again, the the pitch to distributors is so simple. It's high margin, small footprint, and a lightweight case. We don't take up a lot of space in your in your warehouse that's precious warehouse space. So we take up a small pallet somewhere in the corner. It's high profit and then very incremental. So will be added on to kind of whatever else the, the order is. And from a retailer, it's relatively the same. It's our day part is different really than any functional shot that's being sold. We sell after three o'clock in the afternoon, all the way through the evening. Typically we're high penny profit and we're a small footprint and high profit per square inch. So that pitch to distributor and retailer is very simple and, and really easy for them to understand. So that part of it has been simple really the rest of it is just kind of distributors see so many new brands and retailers yeah. see so many new brands that try and fail. It's a very competitive industry. And so they've seen things in the past that maybe tried to tackle this category and have tried yeah. and failed. And so there's just been a lot of test and learn. And we're always going in with crawl before we we walk and walk before we run mentality. So if they 
if they think the category is interesting and we can get a 10 store test, a 20 store test, we'll take it and we'll, we'll knock it out of the park for those 20 stores. And perfect example is, is CVS. We, we did a 12 store test with them in Rhode Island that led to a 2000 store authorization over the holidays that led to a 6,000 store authorization for their reset. So we always will start with the test and grow and prove that we can sell and that we, we truly do you know, deliver on the promise to add incremental sales and dollars to the register, which we do. You know, as a result of that, then we take those wins and we just we make sure that we're we're going back and and really evangelizing those, if you will, to other re- mm-hmm. retailers. And so we were in a thousand retail doors in 2019. We're now in over 25,000 retail doors, oh, and then we've got that's, another that's four. Yeah, we've been really fortunate, and you know, a lot of those are are single store chains or chains that have a bunch of stores that you get kind of a big hit all at once, but. The drug channel in particular has been great to us with Walgreens, Rite Aid, and, and CVS, which we want to continue to grow. And then we're seeing success in, in convenience stores, natural grocery like Whole Foods, conventional grocery like Safeway and HEB, a lot of different avenues and, and neighborhoods and parts of the country all seem to be kind of bubbling up and being really successful. So it's been um, that's a good story that we can take and just keep kind of selling to everyone else and keep kind of that growth happening. And distributors are, are been have been really helpful or in kind of making some of those introductions and have been happy about what we've added to their portfolio. Talk a little bit about, you mentioned education and trying to generate trial and getting people to really understand what the product is and the benefits of it. Do you feel like that's a challenge here? You mentioned Asian. 100%. Yeah. So why, why do you think that is such an interesting conversation, actually, because it feels like such a no-brainer when you think about it, except for that you don't think about it very often because we never talk about that here. Yeah. And, and one of the mistakes that we made, which I'm sure small businesses, of course, have plenty and we've done our fair share as well. But one of the the kind of early mistakes that we made was really pushing our advertising around the word hangover. And a hangover, according to the FTC and the FDA, is a disease. And so if you want to claim anything related to that word, then you need to have a lot of medical and human studies that are really expensive and take a really long time. And you have to be a drug, essentially, as opposed to a dietary supplement. So we made some mistakes in the beginning and and had to kind of curb our, our advertising and change our strategy so that we weren't using that word. And so that's a big challenge for us because the vernacular with a normal consumer, if I told you, hey, you had a couple of drinks tonight and you feel bad tomorrow, what's the first word that comes to your mind? And what would you search for on Google? And what would you look for on Amazon? And yes. so we don't have the word hangover on any of our packaging. And so that has been a little bit of a challenge. And But also it's been really good for us because we got ahead of it early. We learned some tough lessons early. And then we were really one of the first brands that that got compliant and, and has been leading kind of, I think, the the charge in terms of the way that we advertise to make sure that it's consistently, you know, responsible, ethical, and and following the the rules of the road. And so that was good for us to learn early and fail early and then, you know, consistently kind of refine and and tweak our messaging going forward. So that's, you know, the first part in terms of growing, you know, how do you get the message out when you can't say the, the main adverse effect of, of what your lead product is? So that's been challenging. But really then, you know, once you get word of mouth, the, the great thing about our products is that anyone who's a fan of them loves to tell all of their friends about it. And, and they're really kind of, we have a few really great, you know, customers in every market that we we kind of consider our nurturers that want to have all their friends over for a wine night or or want to have the guys over to 
play poker and watch games or whatever, and, and then always have our products available so that it's like, hey, if you're going to have a couple of drinks, have a morning recovery, or you need a liquid focus for tomorrow or anything like that. So we've got this great kind of word of mouth that we mix with purely just having the placements. And one of the great things about a small product that's ambient, that doesn't need to be refrigerated, that can sit on the, on the counter is you get so much exposure purely by people coming up and seeing your product at the register and then having kind of that connection with it and at least taking a split second to look at it, which just means that our packaging has to be really on point and say exactly what we do in, in the shortest amount of time possible. So we've worked really hard on that too. We've tried to make our packaging extremely clear, concise, and persuasive so that for that split second, when you have a consumer up near the register and sees your product, they know exactly what it does. It's just enough that they're going to pick it up, maybe read the back of the label and then give you consideration to put it into their basket. So between those things, and then now that events are coming back after COVID, now that you know beer festivals and, and concerts yeah. and all those types of things that are big events where there's large groups of people that are probably drinking alcohol, we want to be there and, and we really want to get our, our message out and get awareness there through trial. So talk about the education part from a, what kind of messaging can you use? Like, what do you guys say to get people to understand what the product is about? And and do you feel like you're getting the kind of adoption that you were hoping for? Yeah, great question. I would say some of the most effective messaging that we have now. So we have conducted our own studies. We've published some white papers on the science behind our product. And, and I didn't mention this at the beginning, but when, when morning recovery was developed, we worked with University of Southern California's School of Pharmacy here in LA and worked with some tenured physicians to really make the best formula and product that we could and have it backed and steeped in science, which we've done. So it's a really, it, it truly is a, a scientifically backed product. All of them are. And so kind of getting that message out, we did a third-party study. And what we found through a third-party study was that our it's a double-blind placebo-controlled study, meaning half of the participants, they all were given alcohol. Half of them had some kind of a lemonade concoction and the other half had morning recovery. And then they measured the results the next day after drinking our product versus a placebo and found that you feel up to 80% better the following day when you drink morning recovery. And that actually was something that we put forward and worked directly with a couple of kind of national advertising groups to make sure that it was substantiated and we feel really good about it. So that's been a, a big kind of piece of our messaging that's really clear, concise, and simple is feel up to 80% better the next day if you, you have morning recovery when you're drinking. And then really kind of that messaging that lives on our pack is, you know, drink, drink tonight, drink today, feel great tomorrow really trying to, to push that this is a preventative that you you should drink yeah. morning recovery when you are drinking alcohol and then you'll feel some some serious positive effects the next day. So messaging wise, those have been the, the two that we've found to be most effective. We have tried and really iterated a lot on different types of messaging. We do a lot of testing with social media ads and and adword buys on all kinds of things. And so we've we've kind of landed on a few that seem to be most effective and drive the most traffic. Awesome. I want to ask you about getting the sort of figuring out the events and stuff now. So now you're getting back to that. Do you do a lot of sampling at, at like, is that easy or hard to sort of get into those places? And does it have to be smaller venues and stuff like that? Cause it seems like such a no brainer when you think about it. Yeah, you're, you're right. It is a no brainer. I, I wouldn't say that it's difficult to get into those events pretty much now that things are kind of coming back online after COVID and people are really just itching to get out and do things. 
any city in America has a beer fest or a wine festival or a liquor festival. And it's a way for all those brewers or distillers or winemakers to, to come together, obviously, and showcase their goods. And then for consumers to learn about all these new things and a simple phone call to them or an email. And they say, great. So we're serving alcohol. And then here's some, a, a new product that wants to help people kind of alleviate the, the yeah. bad the bad things after drinking a bit, it's a no brainer. We're completely different. They'd love it as a value add for their consumers. And from our perspective, there's nothing better than hitting that person in the moment when they're drinking, totally. when we get to talk about it and we say, here's exactly what morning recovery does. This is what it's used for. And they say, when do you drink it? And like right now, drink it right now. Like before you leave the table, undo the bottle, open the cap, drink it. And then you get that immediate feedback too of like, Hey, this actually tastes great. I thought it was going to taste weird. It's like, no, it tastes great. And they're like, well, I'm going to remember you guys tomorrow. If I feel better, like, okay, that's a great, a great impression. So we're trying to do as many of those as we can. If we could, you know, as we grow and, and, and get bigger, if we could do major festivals and events in every single market in America, we would do it in in a second because Mm -hmm. they're, they really are great events. It just feels to me, as I'm, I mentioned to you, as I'm thinking about concert going, like what a great thing to have when you're buying your drink. Like what a great thing mm-hmm. to look at as you're ordering and they're saying, do you want to double? And you're like, I don't know. But then I think that's, that's the perfect time for something like that. For sure. Yeah. Concerts. I mean, we're, we're doing a big concert this weekend, as a matter of fact, in Las Vegas, it's a three-day festival. And we were at Tomorrowland even in Europe earlier this year, oh, which wow. we don't really have distribution in Europe, but we, we had the opportunity to to get over there and share some samples. And it's a, a massive kind of couple weeks of, of different, a lot of electronic music and, and it was great. So yeah, concerts are, are a perfect thing. And then, you know, the other one that just has been really successful for us for all of our products is hotels because mm-hmm. and resorts because yeah. when you're when you are traveling and what are the three things that happen when you travel you probably drink a little bit more than you typically would because you're on vacation or you're there for work you have trouble getting up and getting going getting focused so we've got morning recovery for the night we've got liquid focus for the morning and then you probably don't sleep well in your own bed right. or anything like me so we've got dream well so hotels have really latched on to what we have as well for those lobbying markets and for min- mini bars and we're in um, all the MGM hotels in Las Vegas. We're in the Four Seasons. You know, a lot of really just kind of natural synergies with those as well. So for us, it's, you know, we have the proof points. It's just trying to get the word out as much as we yeah. can. Interesting. Talk about the biggest challenges you guys are facing. That's always really interesting for listeners to understand. Like you're, it sounds amazing. You took over the business, the DTC Part of it, I assume, is still going strong, but retail feels like an incredibly smart addition to it. What's challenging about it, though? The hardest thing, I mean, anyone that's in the consumer products industry, I mean, we're talking about all these events and concerts and demos and sampling, and that that all means people and products and giving away bottles. It, this is just an extremely expensive industry. And yes. so you can easily burn through a bunch of cash really quickly and, and then leave yourself without the resources. So we're trying to be really prudent and just we were lucky enough to to have some really great investors as part of our company that have put money into the company to help fuel the growth and we're really lucky to to have them and their expertise so we're trying to just manage that as long as we possibly can and make sure that, that runway is as long as possible without without stifling your growth so challenge number 1 in this industry is always just funding and cash you've always got to manage it and then you know the other big challenge is 
trying to uh, build a new category takes a lot of time and creating, we are a totally new usage occasion that really doesn't, really doesn't exist in a lot of parts of America. And so trying to kind of figure out how do you create a new consumption opportunity within someone's life is, is really challenging, but you know, the vision is that if you know you're going to have one or two drinks and you drink morning recovery every single time you drink, we think of it as the same way of like putting on sunscreen. Because if you're going to go out into the sun, if it's for five minutes or five hours, you should put on your sunscreen. We feel like morning recovery is the same way. We want to be the, someone always has one in their backpack or their purse or their car or their office or their house. And so when they think of drinking, they immediately think about morning recovery first, which is thankfully my wife is now on that that train and she won't touch alcohol without morning recovery, obviously, because I'm around so much, but, but that's the vision. And so, but the challenge of course, is it's a long road. You know, you look at any brand that kind of built a category in a new Very space, yes. you know, the, the famous beverage stories of like Micropolian vitamin water and him selling it for six or eight years before it really took off. I mean, that, that's that you have to have the cash, the wherewithal and the people to like push through all that and continue to grow and wait till that catches fire. And we're really at that tipping point, I think now, and, you know, excited to see things kind of continue to progress. How are you guys going about like it I feel like the capital raising has gotten so much harder super recently like really tightened up really requires data and proof and profitability and all the things that you know I'd say a year or two ago didn't feel that important like you could make a good case for a brand that was growing even if it was growing unprofitably but that's not doesn't feel like it's so true anymore so how are you guys dealing with that well, I've noticed what I've learned as I've taken over as CEO here and, and had to go through a raise. What I've learned is there's part of it is just how you pitch. I mean, that was a skill set that I didn't have. And pitching to an investor is different than pitching to a retailer or writing a marketing plan or writing a financial plan or anything like that. It's a combination. And yeah, it's a skill set. And that's what I learned from working with some of our current investors and just some mentors of mine that have done that in the past is it I had to, that was a muscle that I, I had never worked out or exercised. And I needed to, first of all, you know, get that in shape and, and understand how to pitch. So beyond anything on the paper, you know, it all kind of started with me. But once I really worked through a lot of that stuff and, and worked hard at it and got some great advice and some good, you know, direction and, and got better, then I think it's, it is hard to raise capital, but I also think finding the right investors where the portfolio makes a lot of sense. And you, if it's a strategic investor, you know, finding someone that you know can add value to what you're doing so that it's a synergy for them. And if it's just a, if it's a VC or, or private equity or just, you know, angels, you know, it's a little bit of a different pitch, but it's a lot of it is you're selling so much of yourself in this and your ability to take the company further. You want to make sure that those are people that you really can connect with and that you feel like they understand your business. You can add value potentially to their business down the road. And so finding that kind of right fit is important rather than just kind of pitching to everyone. And, you know, as an entrepreneur and the as a as early stage, you will pitch to anyone who listen, which mm-hmm. you should, but ultimately, you know, finding the right fit with the right people where your kind of category seems like it, it really fits in well with them, I think was important. And then of course, like I said, just being really refined and knowing how to pitch and how to 
how to get good at that, you know, is a challenge in itself. I think that's interesting because it is tempting. And I've seen so many brands do it, even some that I'm working with, take money and feel like, ah, this isn't our the right partner for us. And getting out of something like that is so, so hard once you're in it. And also, you know, hurts the business, obviously. So would you like, have you, would you have you turn down people because they're just not the right fit for you guys? We haven't, we've really done two raises and we didn't, the first one, our first initial lead investor on our series A, which is called Altos Ventures based in their split between San Francisco and Korea. They're a technology investor. I mean, they, they took a flyer on us early and they've been incredible partners in terms of just being patient and supportive and helpful with advice and resources. And so we got extremely lucky to have them. And then, you know, our series B, we ended up uh, really working with a a great partner as well called B Tomorrow Ventures that has a lot more industry level experience and expertise around data and synergies with kind of feeding into how do you, how do you synergize in with, with what a C store wants to accomplish Mm -hmm. or how do you fit within a grocery store and how do you kind of build products and plans that really feed well into, to what your customers are trying to achieve. And, and so, you know, they both kind of have their their unique skill set and we're really excited to be working with both of them. We didn't have the luxury of of having a bunch of different people that all wanted to throw money at us and turning them down, but you know, as we grow, it'll definitely be a big piece of of yeah. consideration for us is, you know, as we grow and if if we have to raise again, you know, who do we go with and and how can they fit in and you know, finding the right partner will be important. Yeah, that sounds like it. I want to ask you one more question before we wrap up. You went from working for other companies, and some of them are pretty big ones, and so to a totally different kind of job, right? Now you're the CEO, you're in charge, you have to figure it all out. And I'm sure sometimes it feels like by yourself, although I'm sure you have a really great team. How is that transition? How was that for you? What's different about what you're doing now versus what you were doing at the companies where you worked for someone else? Yeah, I think if you're if you feel like you want to start something or run something and be the decision maker, you kind of know that. And I've always, I've been able to get incredible experience from really seasoned, brilliant people at huge companies and corporations. But I always felt like my job kind of sat within a little box and I wasn't really allowed to go outside Mm -hmm. of my box because Mm -hmm. it wasn't, you know, there was someone else or five other people that wanted to do that or did that. That was, that was their box. You had to kind of stay in your little, your little box. And that was, that's how companies that have a hundred thousand employees, that's how they kind of maintain order, but also continue to strategically think and grow. But I really wanted something where I knew as I worked with small companies, when I could touch all kinds of different departments, I could have a, I could have an impact in marketing and or finance or operations, even if I didn't work in that department. And I now kind of had enough experience in all these different areas and building brands and working in this space that it was like, I felt like as I looked at more labs, I thought, man, I can add value there. I know I can add value and I'm really passionate about it. And I think that's when things really turn for anyone who's in leadership for an entrepreneurism. If you think that you've got a different angle or can add value and you know that and you're willing to jump in and learn and, and make some mistakes along the way, but but ultimately come out hopefully smarter and more agile and better on the other side, then you know, then it's that time to make that jump. But it's been incredible. You know, thankfully I inherited an incredible team here. We've also just built over the last three and a half years, we've added some really great people. And I mean one of the things I always tell people that come and join our company is I've 
I have, we have a small group where we're 20 some people and every single person on our team for different reasons, I could go out and have a cup of coffee or a beer with them and just laugh myself to silly and, and enjoy their company and they're, but they're also just entrepreneurial, smart hustlers that want to be, we want to build something huge and just really fortunate to have such a great group to, to be a part of, but yeah, hopefully we, we keep that together and it just keeps growing this way. I love that. I love that. The digital side of the business, is it as big as it was when you got it or have you, have you, has it shifted somewhat, you know, the percentages of sales? It has. Retail? Yeah, it shifted a lot. When I first started, we were investing a lot more money into social media advertising. And I think for a number of reasons, one of which it, it was really expensive to do so. So we were burning a lot more cash in the earlier yeah. days, trying to grow kind of top funnel traffic for our yes. DTC business, which was maybe, I think it was the right move when we started. And, and then as things evolved, we just couldn't afford to keep spending that much money. So we, we had to turn off the spigot a little bit in terms of some advertising and bring that down a bit. And then also just with the changes around, you know, Facebook's algorithm as it yes. relates to, to iPhone. And, you know, you're seeing a lot less traction on those. So we're, we're starting to, to push dollars elsewhere and find other creative ways to kind of get in front of the consumer social on, on social or digitally. So yeah, our, our business is probably a little bit smaller than when I started on e-com, but still really a big part of our business. And where it used to be 70, 80% of our business, now retail is quickly kind of taking over that space. Wow. I think it's just kind of the natural evolution of where we'll go. And I, I think it'll be that way for you know a while. I hope that we'll continue to have a really strong DTC business. I don't see why we wouldn't. So we're going to keep pushing to make that a, a big part of it. But yeah, retail going forward will, will definitely be the larger part of the business. Awesome. Well, I think this has been great and you've given so much time, which I really appreciate. I just want to ask, I always ask at the end, do you have any advice, things that you've learned that you want to share with people who might be listening that are either deciding should they make the leap or already have made the leap and are struggling a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're thinking about making the leap, I talk to a lot of people that are much earlier, earlier stage than we are. And I would just say that obviously everyone always says the first step is just getting started, which is true. But I do think take a really hard look at what your pitch would look like. And do you have a point of difference? And Mm -hmm. uh, as a person who I've worked in multiple coffee companies, I've worked in multiple beverage companies. And when I was selling a kombucha where there's five other kombuchas in the country that are bigger than you are, you really have to figure out how to sell yourself that sets you apart and is your point of difference in an extremely crowded space. What I love about More Labs and why I was so attracted to this business is that they found white space. CSUN had created something that I believed was completely different and could be the next Red Bull of our vernacular. And so I really always encourage entrepreneurs is don't try to make a tiny little twist in a massive category and hope that you're going to be able to do something different. Like find something that if you're really passionate about it, but truly is white space and create something new and then invest all that time and resources and blood, sweat and tears to go after it. Cause it'll make it a lot easier when you're pitching to consumers online, to retailers, to distributors. If you are an incremental part of their portfolio, as opposed to just competing with 12 other things that are in the set. I think that's great advice. And I usually hear it from investors more than founders. So I really appreciate that because I think that it's important to know, like there are a lot of products in a lot of categories. Launching a beverage is, I don't know how you could even wrap your mind around making something that would be completely different. I know it happens, which is great, but it's hard. And so I think that's really good advice because just making something in addition to all the other things 
may not be the play at this point in time. Yeah. And ultimately you have to think like an investor because you're, you're going to need them. You're going to need cash in this business because it is a, an expensive business. So if you, you've got to go in thinking about how you're going to pitch to all these different people and does this set itself apart and is this different and interesting enough? And hopefully you find, you know, a unicorn. That's what we're all, we're all yes. here for. Yes. I want to ask you one more question in, in terms of advice, because you mentioned it. You said you had no experience pitching and that was a skill you had to really strengthen. How did you do that? So first and foremost, I created my pitch deck and then I brought it to some people who are investors who see 10, 20, 30 pitch decks a week. And, and I got real feedback and I just had them tear it apart. And then started with like the material on you're telling a story. And so if one doesn't lead to two, that eventually leads to 10, that you arrive at the end of this deck being with, with that investor wanting to put money in or wanting to support you, whether they're, whether they're investing in you, whether they're investing in your product, whatever it is, if you told a great story, they will find a way to say yes. And so first and foremost, I started with just my flow. And does it make sense? Does it tell the story that I want? And then I would pitch, do the pitch to him. And I mean, a couple of different people, anyone that would listen to me, I told them, give me some feedback. How do I sound? Is it, are you understanding it? Am I clear? How can I be better? And, and got really candid, great feedback on what I was presenting and how I was presenting it. And it was a little hard to hear sometimes, but I was going to say, I'm sure that wasn't easy. No, but again, it's, I had to think about that for myself. This is a muscle I've never flexed before. So mm-hmm. how do I make, you have to make it your own and find your own kind of pace and, and way of storytelling and people that are really great at it. You really immediately notice how great they are at it. So it, it takes a while to get good. And so I just asked for a lot of feedback. I put everything forward and then got some just honest feedback from people who are in this space and are not afraid to tell me what they really think. And, you know, ultimately it made me better for it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited for you. I think you are onto something. I mean, I love when I get to hear about something that isn't something that's been out there for a long time that are 50 different brands. And so you guys are, and it feels like something that's very relevant. I mean, people are not, not drinking, so that's not happening. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. No, we're, Really excited too, and and I appreciate you having me on. Thank you for the time. Thank you for listening to The Irresistible Factor. I'm Christy Bridges, and I can't wait to see you next Wednesday.